0: Chapter four of Philippians, and just to um, just kind of a recap, um, he starts off chapter four with therefore. And what do we do when there's a therefore? We ask, "What's it there for?" Right, right. What's it there for? So, if you remember in the last chapter, the last portion there, beginning in verse twenty, he says. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So he's going to change this lowly body. You know, and and this is not our home. Earth is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so, you know, basically, we're just here for a, a short time, and then and our real home is in heaven. And he's saying, and so uh, there's going to come a day. He went away to prepare a place for us, and and so that we could be where he is. And uh, so um, there's going to be that day where he's going to take. In order to do that, in order to live in that place that he's uh creating for us for eternity we need to we can't dwell there with this body it has to be given a new body and and so we're going to have a, a body like the risen Jesus right and uh, and so a new glorified body uh, this earthly tent that's tattered and torn and wore out it's going to be replaced with a with a, 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 a new permanent eternal structure one day in the Lord. This corruption must put on incorruption and will forever be with the Lord. So he tells them, therefore, because of that fact, my beloved, verse 1, longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so because of that, stand fast in the Lord, beloved. So stand firm or stand strong in that truth in that future reality, so stand strong in that. God has it all covered. He's got you covered. His plan has all been worked out from before the foundations of the world to provide a place for you and me, to provide a special heavenly suit that was designed for heaven, right? that's going to last for eternity. This one won't, but the one that He's going to give us that we'll be changed and transformed. We're going to be conformed into His image. We're going to be like Him. Uh, that will be given to us, and we'll change this. And, and, and so He's saying, He's saying that's what we have. That's what's going to happen. And so because of that, since we are the citizens of heaven, let us live like it. And so Paul uh, shows us in chapter uh, 4 how we are to live as citizens of heaven. And that's what we'll we'll look at here in chapter four. Let's pray, Father. We just thank you um, that God, you did go away, not just to leave us here um, for good, but Lord, you said that you've gone away to prepare a place for us, and that you would come back for us. That was a promise that you gave us, and Lord, we look forward to that day. God, that we're going to spend eternity. We, we don't understand. We confess that we don't understand. We don't grasp that because all we know, Lord, is this physical, this physical earth that we see. But Lord, we believe by faith that, Lord, you said that you would do that. And so, Lord, we trust and we believe that there is going to be that day when you're going to come back and take us to be with you forever. And so, Lord, help us now, Lord, as we as we wait and as we uh, are here on this earth waiting for that day, help us to, uh, Lord, do the things that you would have us to do, to be who you would have us to be. Uh, Lord, help us, we pray. Speak to our hearts through this time in your word. Let it just permeate our hearts. Let it bear fruit in our lives. And let it be productive, Lord. Let it be... Uh, Lord, used for your good and for your kingdom. And so, Lord, we just thank you and we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And so verse 1, chapter 4, we see as he says, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. See him kind of expressing these wonderful terms of endearment. He uses, toward, he uses them towards the members of the church in Philippi. What love Paul had for them. Not only does he say that they are his brethren, brothers and sisters in the Lord, but they are beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord. And not only beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord, but longed for brothers and sisters in the Lord. Notice the the depth of his love he has for them. How do we get that kind of love? A kind of love that's genuinely concerned for people. You know, does this kind of love just kind of happen as a Christian? Is it something we work at in order to obtain? As I kind of pondered Paul's, uh, statement to them, it kind of made me wonder, how did Paul gain such a love for this group of people? That he could say these things. And it reminded me of the letter from Paul to another group of believers in Ephesus, where I believe Paul gives us kind of a little glimpse into the secret source of Paul's love. In Ephesians 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 14 to 21, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might, According to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So the secret to this kind of love that I find, as I see this this prayer of Paul to Ephesus, is that he had a prayer life. It, it comes through prayer. When Paul prayed for the Ephesians, he probably prayed this for himself as well: that I would know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. In other words, it's something given through prayer or something that is turned loose. So this love is something that's turned loose as we pray, as we pray to the Lord and ask. It's not something you read about and then try to somehow apply to your life. It's something that as Christians should be there automatically. Why? Because God is love. And if you have believed in the Lord Jesus, then you have God dwelling in your hearts. And so really it's a matter of letting His love come out by faith. How is that done? It's by prayer. It's through praying. It's be intercessing. It's coming to the Lord. He says, I bow my knees and I'm asking this for the Ephesians. Right? He asked that for himself. If you're truly one of His, then you have Him dwelling inside you and therefore have love dwelling inside you. And so it's a matter of you yielding to the Spirit of God who dwells in you so that you can let that love out to others by faith. Do I completely understand this? No. But I pray that I will. I I, I pray this. I've I've kind of, in my life, I've adopted this prayer. I kind of find myself, because I've memorized... big chunks of it, you know, to just kind of implement that in my own life. Lord, cause me to know what is the exceeding greatness of your power to usward who believe, according to the working of your mighty power, which you worked in Christ when you raised Him from the dead, Ephesians says. You know that we can know that. We can know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, right? We can know that, but it comes through prayer. It comes to getting on our knees and asking God Lord, cause me to know the love of Christ. I kind of made that my own prayer for myself. We need to spend time in prayer getting into the Spirit so that we might be able to let that love out. If you're one of His, you have that love because God is love. He's in you, He's in us, right? So now, but, but what happens is, is this body of flesh, that body of flesh. We're we're afraid it 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 doesn't we don't let it out but the way to overcome that is by the Spirit getting into the Spirit being in prayer. If we don't spend time in prayer in the Spirit, then we won't love like this. We won't have this kind of love. This is a tender hearted Christ like love that God would have for us all to demonstrate to one another. If we could only be tender-hearted to one another, God wants us to be like that towards one another. And Paul says, so stand fast in the Lord. Notice it's in the Lord, not in their own power. It's in the Lord. We stand fast, or how do we stand fast, or firm or strong in the Lord? We stand fast through prayer. There's real power in prayer. Prayer is where the Christian goes to gain power for his life. Spending time alone with God in prayer will produce power in our lives outwardly and inwardly. So we see prayer as a key component. We, that's what we see here. It, it, it doesn't uh, outwardly say that, but if we look at what's called scriptural consistency, you look at all of uh, scripture like I showed you in, in Ephesians, one of Paul's prayers was that they would know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. And so he says, you know, prayer is a key component for loving people. And it was a it was a key component in loving people for the life of Paul. And so, verse two, he says, I implore Euodia, and I implore Suntuchi, i don't know what the name is i, I yeah it's uh i'm not sure what, how to even say that uh, but um to be of the same mind in the lord okay paul speaks of two individual women in the church and no one's really sure exactly what the the disputing was about but they were they were kind of having a having a disagreement they were apparently in a disagreement with one another over something but Paul simply tells them, be of the same mind. Whatever it is that you can't seem to get past, Paul tells them, be of the same mind. We can tend to be stubborn towards one another and have my way or the highway attitude. But God would have us submit one to another. Not lord over one another, but submit humbly one to another. Oh, but we don't like that. We don't like that so much. Submit. <laughs> Submission, right? No one, I don't think any of us really, you know, like that. But God would have that for us. He wants humble, a, a, a humbleness, a humility. He would have us to submit, be humble towards one another. And so he says, be of the same mind. Remember in chapter two, uh, no doubt Paul was thinking, about this, when he was telling them, he says, Let this mind be in you. Well, what mind was that? Be of the same mind, right? Well, chapter 2, Pastor Chuck was teaching us, was that it was the mind of Christ. To have the mind of Christ, which, what did he say? Who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus, speaking of Jesus, he thought it not robbery that he was stealing from God to, to, to be equal with God because he was God, right? There, there, was, there was no difference. It's like, it's like I'm dad, right, in my family. I am. I just am dad, right? That's who I am, you know? That's not going to change. I am dad, and Jesus was Jesus, and he was God, and he said it's not robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself, though, of no reputation. And taking the form of a bondservant, a doulos, a, a, a voluntary servant. Even though he's God, he took upon himself the form of a man in humbling himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. So that mind, let this mind be in you. That, that mind that's willing to not uh, you know, climb ladders and, and, uh, and, and, and make a name for himself, or you know, one that's humble, a humble mind. That's what he's saying. Let this mind, you guys, work this out in love. Work this out, he's telling them. Paul says, be of this mind, one that is not seeking to make a name for themselves or exalt themselves, but one who makes themselves of no reputation, One who takes upon themselves the form of a voluntary servant, a bond slave. This is the kind of mind Paul is telling them to have. That they would be like-minded as they humbly serve the Lord together. To be like Christ, a humble servant. Not lording over one another, but serving one another in the fear of the Lord. Be of the same mind, he says. And so verse 3 says, And I urge you also true companion help these women who labored with me in the gospel we're not really sure whom paul is referring to uh, when he says true companion Uh, i mean i looked all kinds of commentaries and they don't no one really knows but they've got some ideas and um, the word their true companion or yoke fellow uh, is the idea of Two bulls, right? That are they have this they'd make those wooden yokes that they would harness two bowls together, you know, and they would side by side plow the dirt, you know? And um, a yoke fellow, a co laborer, a companion. But it also has means wife or husband. So true companion. A wife or, or a husband, co laborer joined together as in marriage, a colleague not really sure who he's referring to, though. Some have said maybe his wife, maybe Paul's wife, because he was a Pharisee, and Pharisees it was kind of a a requirement. Some have said maybe the Philippian jailer that got saved with his whole family when when he was on his first missionary journey to Philippi, and he got imprisoned. And remember, Paul and Silas praising the Lord and sing, singing hymns and and uh, and, and, and praying. And then at midnight, the earthquake hit the, hit the prison and just loosed their chains and the doors flung open and the very foundations of the, of the jail uh, were just rattled. And, and the uh, jailer thought that everybody escaped and so he was about ready to kill himself. And Paul says, hey, hey, no, no, don't do that. We're all here. We're all here. And then he runs in and says, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> True demonstration of God's power, you know. Amazing. And, and, but some think maybe he's talking about that guy and his whole family that got saved. They don't really know. Then Paul mentions about a group of women who helped in the work of the ministry. When uh, Paul first went to Philippi, uh, he met some women down by the river. That was kind of a common thing when you couldn't have a Jewish synagogue Uh, in a town when they wouldn't let a a jewish synagogue be in a town they would a, a common thing was that they would they'd meet down by the river or down by the seaside to pray it was a place to gather for prayer and so that's what these ladies were doing and then here comes paul and he meets them and begins to talk to them and he meets this lady named lydia a seller of purple and says that the lord opened her heart to receive all that paul spoke So when Paul mentions about helping these women here in Philippi who labored with me in the gospel, he may have been speaking to Lydia as one of them who got saved and baptized by Paul on his first missionary trip to Philippi. Also notice that here we see that there is a place for women to serve the Lord. Duh, right? I mean, yes, it's it's a scripture that shows, hey, these women were laboring in the things of the Lord. Women hold a vital part in the work of the ministry. It's not only for men to do the work, but also for women as well. Oftentimes, women are the only ones willing to do the work. I found this to be true in Mexico. When I lived in Mexico, I had nothing but a women's Bible study for a season until I was like, okay, um, you know, I, I just, you know, I... The Lord moved me on and I had some other things. I had a youth ministry that I was a part of. But um, it was kind of a discipleship thing and we, kind of, we were done anyways. But it was like, man, rarely did a guy come around, you know. And that's just, and I think Pastor Chuck said that too in, in Uganda and Sudan. It was the same way. That's right. It's true. Oftentimes it's the women who do the work not the men. So women are very important in the work of the ministry, have a vital part. They, they are laborers, co-laborers in the work of the ministry. So then Paul continues and says in verse 3, the last portion of verse 3, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Paul speaks of the book of life. I don't know about you, but I want my name written in that book, the book of life. It's, if you've given your life to the one who gives abundant life, then your name is written in the book of life. Amen. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. If you've said yes to Jesus, then your name is written in the book of life, written in the precious blood of Jesus. Have you simply trusted Jesus as the only way to have right standing with God? We talked about that in chapter 3. Right standing does not come but by doing works, outward works of righteousness, but believing in Jesus only. Believing in what he did on the cross. And that gives you right standing before God. If so, if you've given your life to Christ, then your name's written in the book of life. The Lamb's book of life. He was the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. If we trust that and believe that, then our names are written in that book. And so verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Again, He doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances. We touched on this before. Uh, He says rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because unlike our circumstances, which change all the time, He doesn't change. He remains the same, steady and true. We can also rejoice in that our names are written in the book of life. There's so much that we can rejoice over in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. He says, remember guys, uh, what it means to rejoice means to be glad. Remember? Be glad. Us guys, we like that one, you know, because rejoice is like kind of kind of weird, you know. I mean we we think that's kind of weird. Rejoice, rejoice, you know. I mean I, I can rejoice, I rejoice, but I like the, 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 the word rejoice means to be glad. You know, be glad in the Lord. You know, we can be glad in the things that He's done. And so you know, remember He's that means be glad in the Lord. You know, a sad, sour Christian is no real witness of the good news of Jesus Christ. A lemon-faced Christian ought not to be. We need to look to Jesus, the lover of our souls. In verse 5, he says, Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. The Bible says gentleness, but some translations may say moderation. Um, the word means to live fair or equitable, or fitting, or appropriate, suitable, proper, to be lenient, yielding, or unassertive. In other words, live moderately, not extravagantly. Why? Because when he says the Lord is at hand, not only does he mean that Jesus is coming soon, but the Lord is as near to you as your own hand. Jesus is coming back, no doubt, one day, I believe, very soon. But Jesus also lives inside us, right? He's right here. He said where two or more are gathered in his name, that he is in their midst. He's right here. God is right here. We're gathered in his name. And so he is right here as well. So he's at hand. He, the Lord is at hand. So it not only means that the Lord is coming, which which is an amazing thing, and we look forward to that day, but he's like right here. He sees everything, and he hears our conversations. He sees what we do in secret. He knows everything, and he sees everything. God is right here. He is at hand, as far as your hand is. That's how close the Lord is to us. When Thomas told the disciples after hearing that Jesus was alive, he said, I won't believe unless I see the hands and touch the the holes that are in his hands and feet. And so Jesus appeared to all the disciples, Thomas being one of them, and Jesus said to all of them, but specifically Thomas, Behold my hands and my feet. And Thomas responded, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus said to Thomas, You believe because you have seen But blessed are those who have believed and yet have not seen. It's all of us, really. Right? We haven't seen. We didn't see Jesus. We didn't see the risen Jesus. But we're here today because we believe. We believe. And so here we are, gathered together in His name, more than two of us, and Jesus is literally in our midst. He's here. Because He's in you and He's in me. Jesus is coming, yes, but He's here now in our midst. And so verse 6, He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. The word anxious means to care or careful or anxious care or troubled. To take thought or overthink. <laughs> I'm guilty of that. I overthink. You know, I, I tend to get troubled. I, I let Things trouble me. I like the word "troubled" in that uh, because it's often how I feel in different situations that happen in my life. I tend to wring my hands, oh, you know, and I and I like I kind of tend to stew a bit in my you know in my anxiety over issues, you know, until finally I just can't take it anymore. You know, I have to pray, you know, and I, I just and I finally, oh Lord and I, I you know i just can't bear it any longer and i finally just come to prayer you know oh yeah God. okay lord you know and then i give it to him and then it's like everything's better <laughs> you know <laughs> jesus said don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things sufficient for the day is its own trouble and notice Paul says, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Prayer is the communing with the Lord. We tend to look at prayer as, as a monologue where we just rattle off our list. But it's actually a dialogue. Prayer should be a dialogue, that back and forth, talking and then listening, talking and then listening. And then he mentioned supplications, which can also be understood as petitions. The word literally means to make known one's particular need. It even refers to our wants, supplications, those things that you know, that are on our hearts that, you know, Lord, I would love that. God wants to hear those things. Make known our needs or wants. 1 Peter 5.7 says, Cast all your anxiety or cares upon Him. Because He cares for you. So we see that God cares for us and wants to hear us vocalize our wants and needs, not only for ourselves, but also for others as well. So supplication means to pray for our own wants and needs, but also pray for the wants and needs of others, to be lifting them up in the Lord, the things that maybe they're struggling with, maybe they need, Lord, provide for that family. They are struggling financially. We, we lift them. That's supplication. And he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication. And not only just give him your list of requests, but Paul tells them to do it with thanksgiving. We need to be thankful people. God would have us to be thankful, to appreciate the things that He has done and will do as we believe by faith through prayer and being thankful for what He's going to do in advance. To be able to consider what Jesus has done for us personally and and respond to Him with thankfulness. Thank You, Lord, for dying for me. Thank You for taking my place. Thank You for giving me breath and life. Thank You, Lord, for that beautiful sunset. Or thank You, Lord, for what You're going to do. Believing that He's going to do something I know it will be good, Lord, because you're good. There's all kinds of things that we can be thankful for. We sinful human beings tend to dwell on the negative so much so that it tends to blind us from being able to see the good that we do have. We need to take time to evaluate our lives before the Lord, take inventory of all that we do have in Christ. Instead of choosing to focus on the bad or difficult things in our life, we, through prayer and God's word, we choose to focus on Him. We'll begin to find ourselves being truly thankful for all that He's done. Romans 1.21 says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Notice what happens with their minds and their hearts. Their thinking becomes futile or empty or vain. And their hearts became darkened. All because they didn't glorify God as God and they weren't thankful to God. 1 Timothy 3 1 to 5, Paul wrote, But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to their parents, unthankful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than the lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Wow. So it's important that we be thankful. You know, these were the end times. We see that today. We see that. So many people are just kind of tend to be, uh, they just assume that I just should, the government should just take care of me. You know, this mentality that, you know, instead of going out and working and, Pound the pavement and finding work, you know, it's, there's we've kind of gotten to this place, you know. And entitlement, entitlement that's right. Yep. Not thankful really. It's just a, a that's the, a sign of the end times. We need to be thankful. Be thankful in, in our prayer time. Take a moment each day and thank the Lord for all that He has done. Be thankful. And then he goes on to say, and let your requests be made known. God wants to hear our requests. He's not saying, oh, not him again. You know, he's not saying that, you know. When is he going to stop asking me? No, God wants to hear our requests. We need to make them known to him. Does God know all things? Yes. Does he know your needs and wants before you can even utter them out of your mouth? Yeah, he does. He knows all things. He knows all things. You know an interesting characteristic about God? Since he knows all things, it's impossible for him to learn. He knows all things. He can't learn. He knows it all. So it's impossible for him to learn. (laughs) I love that. I mean, God's God. He knows everything. He knows everything. But he delights in hearing his children offer up their petitions. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So when we take the time to pray, we're demonstrating to Him that we have faith in Him. And though we can't see Him, we verbalize to Him our requests by faith. And so not only does He enjoy or delight in hearing us presenting our requests to Him, He also delights in answering our prayers. He delights in answering our prayers as well that are according to His will. Sometimes the answer is no. Or maybe the answer is wait. I've learned to kind of like the answer wait. I used to, oh, wait, you know. As, as a child, it's like we don't want to wait, you know. Ooh, we're chomping at the bit to do you know go to Disneyland, you know. No, wait, wait, you know. And we just... But oftentimes and as we wait in the lord when god gives you that answer wait it's because and when we look back we see how god confirmed that he he allow you allow time for god to work and to reveal and to confirm so that when at the end of that when he finally does give it to you and he says okay now you go wow that was totally the lord that was god And he worked in me and he confirmed it in me and he he established it in me because I waited. I, I waited for him. It's according to his will and his timing. If it's something he wants, he'll make it happen. He often wants to teach us something in the process of waiting. He uses those times to wait in order to confirm without a doubt God's will for us. Verse 7, he says, and the peace of God, which transcends or surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So as we are anxious for nothing, troubled about nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication, make our request be made known to God. There's a promise that comes in doing this. And I've experienced this in my life, and I'm sure you have as well. And that is that when I pray and cast my cares upon Him, I get a peace that comes that I can't explain. A peace that is of God. I, I, I pour out my heart to Him about all my cares and stuff, and all of a sudden I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, I, I can I can carry on now. You know, I can actually move forward now. Whereas before I was just paralyzed, you know, because I just was like, oh, what am I gonna do? But when I just give it to the Lord, I get this peace, the peace of God. I'm not worried about it anymore. I have peace and I have assurance that I've given it to the Lord and it's in good hands. And so I rest in whom I have given my cares. Thus peace. I have peace from that. This word peace means the absence of war. When we make our requests be made known to God, the warring battle of those particular issues goes away until maybe another hour, (laughs) and then you give it back to the Lord, right? And then you just keep giving it to the Lord. It also means a sense of divine favor with God, peace. And so this peace of God has a function. It says that peace, this peace of God, will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It guards. It literally means that it puts a garrison or a sentinel or a military watch over our hearts. Basically sets up a perimeter around our hearts and minds and watches carefully for any enemy advance. The peace of God guards our hearts and it guards our minds through Christ Jesus. When we give those things to the Lord, we get that peace. The peace of God. And so verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So that pretty much eliminates television. Right? Right? It's so true. I mean, everything that you watch nowadays is like, Wow, wow, whoa, 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 you've got to turn that, you know. I mean they just they're just crossing the line more and more. Keep crossing the line, see how much we can get away with. There's so much junk out there, it just pollutes our minds. Paul writes a prescription for us to how we can have joy and peace. You don't have to look too hard to find the Lord Jesus in verse eight. Right? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. Does it sound like Jesus? He's all of that. Think about think about Jesus, you know. <laughs> if you just think about Jesus, meditate on Jesus, you'll be you'll be just fine, I think, you know. If we just you know, spent time just thinking about jesus and the and, and and his the attributes of Jesus, these attributes, you know he is true, he's right, he's pure, he's lovely, he's admirable, he's excellent, praiseworthy. Jesus is true, he is noble he he is just, he is pure, he is lovely. The word true means not false or unreliable, but genuine and real. The word noble means honorable or morally attractive. The word just means righteous, both toward God and man. The word pure would refer to the high moral character of a person's life. The word lovely has the idea of that which is admirable or agreeable to behold or consider. The words of good report has also been translated of good repute or fair sounding. Virtue speaks of moral excellence and praiseworthy refers to something that deserves to be commended. I think of Jesus when I look at this list. Every single characteristic pertains to Jesus. So if in doubt, think about Jesus. It it, it can't hurt, right? Think about Jesus. I mean, we we already do that. But when we think more on Him, when we voluntarily begin to focus on Jesus, a lot of our cares and anxieties and things begin to just fade away. When we start focusing on Jesus... You know, and what he's done, all that he's done, all the noble things that Jesus has done, you know. When we think about those things, what all God has done, we begin to have peace as well. We begin to forget about our cares and worries when we take a moment and just think upon him. But how many people's lives have ended or are in kind of a constant state of depression? because of the lies of the enemy that entered the mind like a flood. Satan is the father of all lies. He's seeking whom he may devour. He wants to destroy us. If he can't take us to hell, he will try to make our lives here and now a mess by getting into our heads and telling us that our lives don't matter. Or nobody likes me. Or nobody even cares about me. Or I'm just a failure, or God will never take me back. You heard that one? Because of the things I've done, God will never take me back. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm lost. I'm gone. I'm so, I'm so far gone. There's nothing that God, you know. That's what the enemy would like to tell us. He'd like to say those things to us and get us just so far away from God. There's a. Something I learned, um, and it just it just helped me because um, I was susceptible, and I still am at times, of listening to those voices instead of listening to what God says. And um, uh, if whatever it is that you're listening to is driving you away from Christ, that's condemnation. Whatever is draw, drawing you to Christ. That's conviction. That's conviction. If you if you feel like, oh Lord, I'm sorry, that's conviction. You you feel conviction, you draw, you're drawn closer. But if you feel like, oh, he doesn't love me, uh, I'm, just, I'm just lost, I'm just uh, there's no, there's no hope for me, and then you just and you walk away from the that's condemnation. And he says that he hasn't come to condemn us. And so this battle in our minds we we have, we, we go through as Christians. You know, the enemy would love to destroy us. He would love to get us to think that we're not valuable to him, that we don't matter to him. But we do matter, for God so loved the world. God so loved the world. We we are that pearl of great price, remember, that's in the world, that he sold everything so that he could get. He sold it all. He gave, up, he gave up everything to buy that chunk of land called the earth, the world, because he knew that there was a pearl buried in that chunk of land. That pearl is us. We are that pearl of great price. God wants us to know that today. We're precious in his sight. God loves us. So Paul gives us a prescription as to how we are to think as Christians in this life. How we can have victory in our lives. In order to have victorious Christian living, he says, think on these things. Because in order to live right, we need to think right. And if we're not thinking right, we're not living right. Big part is up here. That's, is this psychobabble? No, it's not psycho babble. This is biblical Christianity. This is practical Christianity we're talking about. Think on these things. It's something we volitionally need to apply to our lives. We need to take it to prayer and begin to meditate on the things of the Lord so that our minds are renewed. The Word of God, renew our minds in the washing of water by the Word of God so that we begin to think correctly because we're in a sinful state we were we were born into sin and so we are we are our natural fallen state tends to think in the negative but god says hey my word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword it will change us it will transform us it will renew our minds it renews our minds causes us to refocus on what is important and what's, what will bring life, not death. And so this is practical Christianity. Put these things to practice and it will go well with you. And so then he says in verse 9, he says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Will you still have trouble in this life? Yes, even though you'll have peace. I mean, just look at Paul's life. Imprisoned, beaten with rods, shipwrecked, bitten by poisonous snakes. And yet, in spite of his outward circumstances, Paul says, think on these things. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Be anxious for nothing. Just pray. Just pray. Give it all to the Lord. When you start feeling anxious, give it to the Lord. Pray and give it up. Surrender it all. Take a moment and give it to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says, think on these things. So so yes, there's a there is a peace that comes from us giving those things, but then also you know, giving those things in prayer, but then also there's a responsibility for us as, as believers to Volitionally think on the things that are true, the things that are pure, the things that are noble, the things that are of good report, things that are praiseworthy, right? And he says, and the God of peace will be with you. There is a responsibility of the believer to volitionally do certain things. And here Paul gives us a little how-to on how to overcome through life's struggles. We can have peace in spite of our circumstances. But the question is, is how bad do we want that? Do we like to just stew in our sadness? You know, I do. I can can tell you that. Sometimes I just like to stew in my... just sit there and not do anything about it. But how bad do we want it? Do we want to continue being just a... having a victim mentality? Paul says, "Be anxious for nothing." And he says, "But in all things by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And he says, "Think on these things, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, and those things will begin to change the way we think, the way we view things. That'll begin to just change our whole outlook on stuff as we get into the God, into God's word. God's word is so vital as we think about these things. And so He says, He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, these do He says, and the God of peace will be with you. So let's be busy about our Father's business. You know, remember, make disciples. We need to be making disciples wherever you are. That that may not be like a ministry of the church, an official ministry of the church, but you can be doing that with your children. You can be doing that with your neighbors. You can be doing that at your workplace if they'll allow you. You You can be making disciples, being about our Father's business, sharing the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Be busy about our Father's business he says, do these things, whatever you've learned and received and heard from me or seen in me. What, I, what, what Paul was doing, he was sharing the gospel, teaching people the word of God and telling them about Jesus. Right? And then he says, and then in all things pray, and the peace of God will be with us. So pray. Pray as well. So make disciples, be about his business, do what Paul was saying, but then also Pray. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things by prayer. And um, and the peace of God will be with us. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word, and we thank you that we have access to you. We can commit, Lord, our cares and concerns to you, knowing that, Lord, you care for us, and, Lord, you desire to answer you desire to hear from us, but you also desire to answer our prayers. And And we thank you, Lord, for the prescription you've given us to to think on these things, Lord, whatever is true and noble and pure and praiseworthy, Lord, as it helps us to have the mind of Christ, God. And so, Lord, we pray that you would, um, Lord, work in us, each one of us here today, Lord, that we would leave this place putting these things to practice, Lord, and uh, that our lives would be fruitful for you. And we just thank you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.